Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the latest edition of the Romans Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about Liverpool, because that's who's on the chopping block today. And Anthony Taylor. Um, I, I really want that to be noted. <laughs> talking thrown his way, because you know what? Frankly, he deserves it. Um, but we'll save that rant uh, for a little later in the pod. But before we get to it, I must introduce my co-host for today, Andres. The newly engaged man, as we uh, spoke about last <laughs> podcast. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I uh, diving headfirst into wedding planning, honestly, with the you know with uncertainty of what a pandemic world may bring. I think we're trying to have as much planned out as possible before any craziness develops once again. So, yeah, yeah been staying busy. I know the feeling, man. We're we're like in the process of planning our wedding too. And I mean, it's not as bad here. It's actually worse here in California with all the COVID protocols and whatnot. So yeah, I feel your pain. Um, But why don't we just kind of dive into this match, man? There's so much to talk about, and I don't really know where to start. So um, I'll give the starting lineup, and then we'll just kind of go for it. Um, Sounds good. So starting at keeper, the UEFA men's goalkeeper of the year, Edouard Mendy. uh, Champions League. Champions League. Champions League, sorry. Um, back three, uh, got Andreas Christensen returning to the middle, Rudiger off to his left, and Aspilicueta off to his right. Uh, Reece James, Champions League defender nominee. Ch- yeah. Good shout, good shout. We do have uh, both of our fullbacks, Reese James and Marcus Alonso, um, and uh, we had a midfield pivot of uh, Jorgolo. Um, so, might I add, UEFA Champions League midfielder of the season and UEFA Champions men's or UEFA Champions League men's player of the season. No, he's so, he was just UEFA men's player. Or just of the UEFA. Season. Okay, see, I'm getting them all fucked up now. <laughs> Jorginho, uh, aka Clean House, uh, aka the best award winner. AKA, yeah, just perennial trophy winner, Jorginho. Um Playing in behind Romelu Lukaku, Kai Havertz, and Mason Mount. So, um, obviously, we went into this game. We knew it was going to be tough. We are playing Liverpool. It's never easy going to Anfield. We Europa all know. League Player of the Year, Lukaku. <laughs> Europa League Player of the Year, Lukaku. <laughs> I love it. Um, was it obviously, this game did have a lot of controversy, Andres. Um, so, let's talk about the time uh, before the controversy. So, before that, Reese James red card. Um I thought we looked pretty good. It was an exciting game. Uh, pundits and fans, neutrals all around, were saying that this was the match of the season up to date. Not really saying much after three weeks, but let's be honest. That first 45 minutes before the red card, I think Liverpool and Chelsea fans liked what they saw. Um, so obviously Kai Havertz gets the goal scoring uh, up and running, uh, scoring off a corner kick, a Pulisic-esque Header. Remember Pulisic against Burnley? That was the first thing I thought when he scored that. Um, but obviously, um, I think the bigger th- thing to mention is, you know, our decision making on the counterattack. So I can think of three situations that come to mind where we made the wrong decision um, in the counterattack. And, you know, I, I, I hate to start off on something negative. But I do think this is something we can definitely improve on. Obviously, um, if you've been on Reddit or Twitter, you've probably seen the clips of Kai missing Lukaku, where he probably could have played him in first time. Um, There was another instance where Mason Mount 
could have played a little cut back to Kai as well. Um, and a few other occasions where we could have gotten rid of the ball a little earlier. Lukaku was really working the space well. Andres, what did you kind of make of that? I think that this is a group that hasn't played together as a front three as much. I think that, for one, the the Luka, the the Kai missing Lukaku, I think that that's just there's not a you know that telepathic chemistry there yet. You know they've only played together for two weeks. Uh, I think that you know Kai is not used to potentially a smart hold-up run like that, especially after a season of someone like Timo Werner consistently being offside. Uh, and then in terms of Mount and the Kai cutback, same same sort of scenario where the way we're playing this year, you know, last season rarely did, if Mount got into that position, was there an option for a cutback? You know, we had players that if they ever got to themselves inside the, the box that close to goal they were the last option for a pass. We weren't as controlled getting so close to goal and creating such big chances. So again, I think that comes with, with the fact that we are still learning to, to play with a true number nine as a focal point in the buildup, uh, not as a last, as both a last pass and also as a man, uh, essentially a, a human wall pass that unlocks other people. So I think Lukaku played Mason through initially, and then Kai is also in the right place to get the cutback. So, again, Mason getting played through into the box last season, he's the deepest man available. Nobody's around him. He has to shoot. This season, Kai can anticipate that Lukaku's going to do that. He gets himself in the box, is an option. Mount misses him. So, for me, it is the fact that we didn't get Lukaku into the team earlier in the preseason and we're still learning so i'm sure they will be watching tape and understand that those options are going to be there and give it a match or two we should be seeing those things happen more naturally rather than you know seeing things from our couch (laughs) that the players don't see live yeah i think i think the final ball is going to come with time and and to be completely honest i think that's the only thing really missing from our game if we're if we're basing um you know, if we're basing that argument on the three first three matches of the season, that's clearly our weakness. You know, now we have our number nine. It's just a matter of finding that final ball and getting him the service that he needs to score the goals. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't necessarily think our final ball is lacking. I know I know the Twitterverse uh, would beg to differ. I saw some negativity there, um, but I I I plead to you guys just be patient. It's gonna come. Um. Reese James's red card, Andres. Let's just let's just kind of get into this rabbit hole so we can get it out of the way. Um, if you've been living under a rock in the 45th minute, Reese James um, blocks Sadio Mane's shot after a flurry of Liverpool shots. Um, he obviously blocks it off the goal line. The ball deflects off of Reese James's thigh, and then the ball then ricochets off of his leg onto his arm, which looked to be no less than about a foot away from his leg. Um, my opinion on this, Andres, it's a penalty. It's never a red. He blocked an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Um, I don't think that can be argued. So I just want to caveat this whole segment with that. Um, 
I do definitely think it should have been awarded a penalty. Now, um, both managers got their uh, chance to speak about it after the match. Um, you know, Tommy Tuchel um, made his feelings known. He really tried to dance around the subject, but did um, express disappointment that uh, Anthony Taylor really only looked at a freeze frame and he didn't um, look at an actual video replay, which um, isn't the word video uh, in VAR? Video <laughs> assistant referee. But anyways, um, Jurgen Klopp also had something to say about it too. And I thought Aspie this was had actually- something to say about it as well. Aspie did as well, yes. I didn't include it here in the script. I actually thought what Klopp said st- stood out to me because this is an opposing manager speaking about this same issue. Um, so this is Klopp's quote. Uh, I never like double punishment, but if somebody ever listened to me about rule changes or rules, a lot of things would look completely different. He also added, uh, when asked if it was harsh, he said it was absolutely harsh. Spoils the game? Yeah, probably. It changed everything. I would have loved to have seen the game in an 11v11 situation and see who comes through better, but it is the way it is. I kind of gave my take on it. I gave the PG version. I'll give the rated R <laughs> version after you. Um, All right. Andres, don't 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 hold back. What were your right, thoughts so, on it? So, so I'll start with like my days after the match thoughts because I've tried to like I've asked a bajillion people that I know watch the match live, and so. Here's my thing. If, and by the way, I am not defending Anthony Taylor because I think he's an, a complete moron and I hate every time that he's chosen for a Chelsea match. Just for the record, this, we both signed a petition. Yep. Um, but he, this choice, the, the situation for another ref would have been tough. And here's, here's why I think that's the case. If you look at why you give a red card, uh, ex, in, was it mutually exclusively? I'd say it's a red card because we stopped a clear goal scoring opportunity in the motion of that play. Now, if you look at the handball rule exclusively, there was no, you know, it, it wasn't an unnatural position of the arm. There's been up on like the last, I remember in 2019, the handball rule did state that if, it is deflected from a legal position to a then handball position directly after it should not punish a player. So if it's through the handball rules exclusively, I'd say it is not a red card. Now going back to the fact that is Anthony Taylor and going back to the fact that the guy didn't even look at the video, unless the VAR ref himself comes out and says that he told Anthony Taylor that it was a red card. This I, I I call bullshit and I will die on a grave saying that this is Anthony Taylor's usual bias against Chelsea showing because I saw Liverpool people, Man United people, and, and multiple people say that that is the most one of the most harsh things ever. Um, I just don't understand how you can make such a vital decision right before halftime without truly going under the hood and, and, and really watching the video. Slow motion is also something that makes everything worse. Mm-hmm. And not only what about did he a freeze not even, frame? Freeze frames are even worse in slow not mo. Only, not only did he not do slow mo, he only chose a freeze frame. And if if you've ever played defense right in front of your keeper, 
Mind you, Reese James is even behind his keeper, and he's now blocked a few shots before this. This man is stumbling. He is flailing. He's throwing his body any way, shape, or form in front of this ball. It hits his thigh. He is trying just to react to the fact that the ball even hit him. It hits his arm, and then you see a reaction from him after trying to move the arm away. And people are saying that in slow motion, it looks like he's going towards the ball. So you're telling me that a man that's struggling to keep his balance and just trying to react to a shot coming at him at 40 plus miles an hour is controlling his body in complete control and he is deliberately putting his arm there? No. I think was extremely harsh. But like I said, if it was any other referee than Anthony Taylor, I'd be a little bit more lenient and would try to look at both sides. But at the end of the day, it was Anthony Taylor and – Per usual, he was doing his usual anti-Chelsea thing and gave away a red without it, without even making it look fair. And mm. that's the part that was the most um, egregious to me. Going to the VAR screen and not even the using the screen. Yeah. Not even using it to its full potential. It's the end of the half. Nothing is happening after you watch video. You can watch it for 20 minutes and it doesn't affect anything because there's not going to be any play afterwards after you make a call. So that is what pissed me off most. Yeah, he just walked up to the screen, saw the freeze frame. And if you guys didn't see the video, I urge you to look it up on you know, YouTube. It's probably on Twitter somewhere. The man looks at the VAR monitor for what, Andres? I would say about three seconds. Is that being generous even? Yeah. I, and, and, and he gets within eyesight of it. Yeah, and, and this isn't an exaggeration. <laughs> this is matter of fact. I would say he looked at it. He looked at it for about three seconds. But the other issue was, you got the sense that he only went up to the VAR monitor because VAR was telling him you might want to take a look at this. Right. He had his mind made up before he walked over to that damn monitor, and that's that was my issue with it. Um, now I've seen some. Um, I've seen some people give their opinion on what the rule change should be. I've seen some people, um, you know, throw ideas out there. And honestly, Andres, the best idea that I heard resembles the idea of goaltending in NBA. If a player commits a handball in that kind of situation, can't you just award Liverpool yeah. the goal, a penalty yeah. goal, and consider give, it? Give him a yellow. Give him a yellow, and whoever kicked the ball gets credit for the goal because the ball was already going in. If it's a clear goal-scoring opportunity just like that, because the ball wasn't going anywhere. If Reese James's uh, arm even, wasn't there. Don't, don't, don't even use the wording for clear goal-scoring opportunity. Yeah. Defender on the goal line has a ball hit him in the hand that was going to be in, and the keeper was nowhere to stop it. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and he is not yeah. in the, you know, regardless of whether he's right next to the post or not, if he is inside the frame and it hits him and he's the last man, just call it a goal. Call it a because goal. Because you're right. If if we say, oh, just give the penalty in a yellow and we block the penalty, that's harsh on Liverpool because the ball was going to go in. Yeah. So yeah I'm especially if the penalty I'm gets saved. For a goaltending style call for that specific situation. Don't give mm-hmm. me this bullshit open-ended up to interpretation. No. If it hits mm-hmm. a defender while he is in, the, in, the, in a handball position, while he's the last man on the line and the ball had a trajectory going in – Blow the whistle, yellow card, it's a goal. Play on. 
Exactly. And and just and just to clarify, this wasn't a Luis Suarez World Cup situation. That right. that situation was completely different. That's Deli- an intentional, deliberate attempt to handle the ball so it doesn't go in the goal. I've seen that brought up multiple times when discussing this situation for the people that do think it was a red card. And for me, that's a very lazy comparison. It's extremely lazy. Um, I'm just going to kind of leave it there because I don't really want to sit here and dwell on the shitty officiating. And by the way, wasn't Anthony Taylor the one that allowed Lester's handball in the buildup to their goal in the FA Cup um, final? They – no, Anthony Taylor was the one that let – well, there's multiple, right? There's like a whole thread. But I know for a fact he was the one that let Alexis Sanchez have a handball inside of our box, which let him control the ball and then score on us when Conte lost the first FA Cup against Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the thread... Oh, actually, that's my mistake. It was Michael Oliver who ref the, yeah. uh, the FA Cup final. But but here, I'll give you just the overall stats with mm-hmm. Anthony Taylor. So Chelsea in the last decade, last decade of Premier League football, they have, out of 355 matches, they have 204 wins, 78 draws, which averages out to 1.94 points per match. When Anthony Taylor in the last decade officiates Chelsea, which has been 35 times. Chelsea averages 1.71 points, which is a percentage of negative 11.8% from their original number. In 35 matches with him in charge, they have won 18 of the 35, drawn 6, and lost 11. That is not even like everyone else. And they have this for other players. Liverpool. Liverpool has a 7.25% increase. They go up from 1.86 to two points per match with Anthony Taylor. Arsenal from 1.86 to 1.94. United is the most egregious. They average 1.95 points per match. With Anthony Taylor, they average 2.26 points per match. Mm, Interesting. And then there's Chelsea. Chelsea's in the negatives from 1.94 to 1.17. That is 10 years worth of statistics. This is not the last five matches. This is not the last 10 matches. This is 35 matches worth. So fucking unbelievable. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I guess for lack of a better phrase or word, um, the bias is real. Um, let's get into the positive, though, because even though we went down to 10 men, um, we still played extremely well, Andres, and we dug deep. The and this players be the main story. dug exactly, and this and this is what we're actually going to be focusing on because it wasn't just the masterclass by Tuchel; it was a masterclass from the players. the it, The amount of focus, the amount of energy, the organization, the ability to adapt. When not only we go down a man, but we go down three men because N'Golo Kante went out too, and he runs for two. So <laughs> if you're really looking at it. Um, we were up against it. Um, so at Colin Blues for have actually had an awesome tweet. Uh, he said Chelsea at Anfield down one less person goes basically 50 minutes without letting Liverpool score. Bro, Chelsea are badass. Are you kidding me? This is a win for me. <laughs> um, Kendall Higa also had uh, something to say about it. He says a one-one draw at Anfield is a great result, right? For me, Andres, <laughs> I agree with Colin. This is a win. Considering the situation, I think it's I think it's a point earned for Chelsea and definitely two points dropped for Liverpool. No other way about it. Definitely. I mean, the the red card happens. 
I so I actually had a, a one of my college buddies came by and he's never watched soccer. He's like at least seriously. He came by and he asked me like, okay, what does this mean now? I said, initially I said it means we're screwed because Anfield with full fans is a tough play to go like a tough place to go play. Anthony Taylor's the referee. We're a man down for a whole half. Mm-hmm. I again the way the team played and the result is huge. I mean the fact that. They had zero big chances created, I believe. Zero big chances created since Chelsea went down to 10 men. They created more chances against 11. Most of their shots came from way far and weird angles. I mean, I I wasn't too fussed about those shots. Like, I mean, Mendy's ginormous. But, yeah, we frustrated the crap out of them. And Mm -hmm. and that's not – obviously, tactics come into play. It's hard to stay that organized and and stay that – um, true to your shape with a man down and, and, you know, give up your will to go forward and all those things. But if you're Liverpool, you think you're getting an easy three points. You Again, you're a man up. You have the fans on your side. This referee won't even give any of your players a yellow card, literally zero yellow cards. Mm-hmm. And everything is on your side except this unmovable wall. And, and props to the, the team and including the coaches because, yeah, the headlines after this were Chelsea shows their true title contenders, mm-hmm. and it was a draw. This was, this was the best example of, of, our, of our resolve, I guess I should say. The ability to adapt to just adversity. When, th- when shit hits the fan, an unexpected red card comes about, all of a sudden – goes from 1-0 to 1-1, and we're playing with 10 men. Most teams would crumble. Um, look at Arsenal, what happens when they go down to 10 men, case in point. Um, but you <laughs> Hours know, earlier. Hours earlier, exactly, on the same day. Um, I think it should also be noted as well that Liverpool suck. They're not the same Liverpool team that they were two, three years ago. I think they're far from it. If you're looking at just Van Dyke, I think he looked good. I think he. I actually think that he won the matchup between uh, between him and Romelu, which we spoke about last week. Mm. Um, so I, I don't see any any issues in terms of him, you know, being fully healthy or whatnot. He looks just fine in terms of Van Dyke. But when you look at Liverpool's depth and you look at the way they play, they've been playing the same way for the last three seasons, with pretty much the same starting eleven for the most part. Um, and what happened when we went down to 10 men and Liverpool needed that goal? They could only bring on defensive players. The only attack-minded player they brought on was Thiago, but Thiago thought he was playing for Chelsea and not Liverpool, so we actually got lucky. I don't know what's going on with that experiment over there, but I think the overarching theme of this, Andres, is that Chelsea are title contenders, and Liverpool, they're going to fight for the top four. That's it. I don't see them challenging us in the same way I can see Manchester City or Manchester United, especially now that they have Cristiano, possibly challenging us for the league title. They just don't have that depth. Um, You saw what happened when Bobby Firmino went out. They threw on their only attacking player they had on the bench. Klopp doesn't use Ox as a winger, so don't bring him up. And uh, and Minamino is there just for decoration. So I think that's the overarching theme. Um, 
I do want to move on and talk about our defending really quick. But before we get to that, Russell, I have to mention this tweet from Russell Saunders because <laughs> it was just too funny not to mention. It is about Anthony Taylor. Uh, he asked, if you saw Anthony Taylor on fire and there was no water around, would you piss on him and try to put the fire out? Dan Silver uh, replied that he would actually look for petrol, more petrol. Um, I, I think a lot of Chelsea fans will probably do the same. Um, so, yeah, we're going to leave it at that. A, Fuck off, Anthony it, Taylor. It's I a teaching he... moment. You know, if, if this yeah. is in the future and I have a child, it's like, son, this is what karma looks like. Do you see this man? This man is evil. Um, earn, earn good karma, son, or you'll get this. <laughs> what did they title the uh, that petition? Uh, Anthony the Bald Taylor, they called him. Ah, I don't yeah. know. Uh, but anyways, let's get to the defending because this is th- this is really what was impressive about our performance. Um, I d- I'm not going to pull out individual stats because there wasn't one particular player that stood out to me. I mean, granted, there are honorable mentions, but as a unit, defensively, we looked incredible. We won 55 duels compared to Liverpool's 43. Um, we won 26 tackles. We had 21 combined interceptions and 34 clearances. Um, and like Andres said earlier, after the red card, Liverpool failed to create any big chances. Um, so to kind of start this debate uh, or conversation, Ron asked us a question, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, uh, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme. He said, who impressed you the most? AC, Andreas Christensen, Rudy, Mendy, or Thiago Silva when he came on? Or was it Tuchel with the masterclass of managing? Can you really single any of those guys out? I mean, there's there's two guys that I just thought that I would single out, and not just because they like stood out, but just more the storyline behind it. So if, I'll start with Christensen because he's a guy that we always, you know, he's had his growing pains and he's had, you know, the blunders, and he's usually the one that has the mistake per se to to mm-hmm. lead to the loss when when. You know, if he makes a mistake, then things never get fixed sort of thing. And I think this was the game for me specifically to say that that stage of Christensen's development is gone. I, you know, I thought that, oh, Christensen's getting starts right now because Thiago Silva wasn't there for camp. But I truly believe it's Christensen, then Silva in the pecking order now. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fully deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, Silva, again, no disrespect to Silva. He came on and he was a monster. But the other guy I wanted to highlight was Jorginho, actually. Uh, I thought that he, you know, before Conte even got hurt or, you know, retweaked whatever he had, Jorginho got, like, stomped on early in the match and wobbled for a little bit. Didn't look good. It looked like his knee, too. Yeah, and then minutes later, the man is, like, sliding left, right, intercepting passes, and even more so whenever we went down a man. You know, no, he's not the fastest guy, but I felt like he was positionally very, very aware where he had to be. And yes, it's quote unquote easier to defend when you park the bus, essentially. But I just thought he did a fantastic job even after Conte came off. Like, that's not easy to do. So Mm -hmm. those are the two guys I wanted to to highlight. Not again, because they were the reason we won. Um, But I just thought the storyline. And then the last guy I wanted to shout out was Aspie. Uh, because you need your captain to be at his absolute best to to keep a unit on the pitch in check when you're a man down. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, tempers flared at the end of the half. 
completely different group in the second half. Resiliency, consistency, willingness to work for others. That all comes from a central voice, and that was Aspie in this match. So those are the three guys I'll just just talk about for a second. Um, A lot of people saying it was a Mendy masterclass. And and, and not to downgrade the the performance itself, but he he didn't really have any – he, he didn't have to get called into any situations where you're thinking, uh-oh, he's going to get beat. He didn't really look like he was under too much trouble. I, I mean, is that just because we just believe he's that good? Because he does make it look easy. That, I will that's give what I was going to say. I, I yeah. mean, you know that I'm like, like if there's a stat that I look at is expected goals. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, Liverpool's Everyone's expected goals stat. Were, were 2.8. Like, yeah. so you take off one if you want to be crude because of the penalty 1.8 still in a second half with a man down, like we didn't concede and they were supposed to score twice. Mm-hmm. And he recorded uh, a match high saves uh, against Liverpool in this match. So I, yeah. And, and I was going to mention, I don't even think it was the saves that was impressive before we went down to 10 men, his ability to play off or, or his ability to play behind a high line. And to be that sort of sweeper keeper um, is very, very underrated. And it's something that we really didn't see a lot last season because we were playing pretty defensive football. And this year, Mm -hmm. I can tell the difference. We are opening up a little bit. We are becoming more of an attacking side. Obviously, now that we have a number nine, teams are going to sit deeper against us. And as a consequence, our back three is going to have a higher line. And Mendy's in charge of making sure that if anybody gets in behind, he's clearing out any garbage. And And I think he did that really well. Um, one quick point about Andreas Christensen, and this is something that, um, you know, we were all concerned about. I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand and say that, um, prior to the champions league final last season, um, I wasn't completely opposed to, uh, looking at other options to possibly replace him. You know, we all remember the horror show, um, under Conte against Barcelona, that situation sort of broke him after he had an incredible season leading up to it, arguably one of our defenders of the year leading up to that mistake. Um, But a lot of question marks about his ability to play in big matches, his ability to become the player that everybody thought he was. Obviously he got co-signed by John Terry very early on in his career, which put a lot of pressure on his back. Andres, I think he answered every question that was asked of him. And there's no doubt in my mind that Andreas Christensen is not just our first choice, he's a big game player. He shows up into big matches. As a center back, it is so difficult to come off the bench in the middle of a match, let alone a fucking European Cup final, and put together the performance of your life. Andreas Christensen did that. Um, He comes into this season, and all of his performances so far um, have only solidified his position as our first choice. I completely agree with that. Yes, Thiago Silva might be the more talented of the two, the more experienced of the two, I understand if you want to bring the argument of Thiago Silva being number one. I'm not really going to argue. You're talking about a world-class defender in, in, in his own right. But you look at Christensen's age. You look at the quality of performances that he has had for Chelsea. Um, it's really hard to see past him as our future in terms of our backline. And I'm so happy that his story came full circle because this was a guy that, like I said, I wrote off even. Yeah. Um, you know turning his his whole reputation around amongst Chelsea fans. And now he's one of our most important players. Look at us last season 
we said that Andreas Christensen could only play in the middle of that back three. He slid over to the right and had absolutely no issues whatsoever. And one thing is like I want to add is mm-hmm. we talk about Christensen and Tiago. First choice in my in my book, if right now, like I said, it's Christensen, but Tiago is not like a a second stringer. It's more of like a one A one B. There's going to be exactly. profiles of teams where we're going to say like Tiago fits the bill. Play more physical, him. bigger it, sides. I was thinking more of the team that is completely just going to park the bus on us, and you need mm-hmm. Tiago's balls from deep to catch somebody, you know, sleeping. That sort of thing. Like we haven't seen Christensen quite do that consistently enough to say you play Christensen against a team like I don't know Newcastle or Burnley. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I I think that it's a good. It's not a problem. I think it's just they're good foils of each other. They mm-hmm. do things similarly in some things, but they are very different as well. You know, Christensen likes to dribble up the pitch with the ball. Thiago is more of a passer himself. So there are situations where one over the other, but I think at the end of the season, we'll probably see more starts for Christensen, you know, yeah, at this point. But with that being said, just just like you mentioned, Tiago is going to be playing in a lot of important games, a lot of big matches. We might see him in Europe. We might see him in the FA Cup. We're going to see him against some of the top six sides. Club Um, World Cup. Club World Cup. I mean, what what, what, we're in six, five or six. tournaments right now or or competitions so there's a lot of football to go around now one thing that's not on the script here i know i'm kind of blindsiding you andres um dave shifted out to right wing back uh after reese james went off obviously Mm -hmm. um so we discussed uh uh, you know the possibility of you know who is our backup wing back and callum hudson adoy's name came up that experiment um you know, call it what you will. I call it a failure. I don't think he's a wingback. Um, but now we're in a situation where Reese James is is he is looking at three matches out. Doesn't look like that red card's going to be appealed. Is that a concern for you? Um, the fact that we really only have one bona fide player or one player that can play there. Um, who's defensively minded. We don't really have very many options in that right. regard. Um, so I believe in our next three matches, we have uh, got Villa Norwich. Next. Villa, then Norwich. Is that correct? I'll pull it up right now. Continue. I'll cut you off when I uh, Yeah. So in my book, I think we have a Champions League match at some point in between, and, and that's where I'm a little concerned. So it's Villa, Senate, Tottenham, and then Villa again before we yeah. face City. So Zenit, Reese can play, so that's good. Mm-hmm. But Aston Villa, Tottenham, and then Aston Villa again because the Carabao Cup is an, an FA competition. Um, it's early days into the season, so I'm not as concerned. But this paints the bigger picture of what what's gonna how many p- games are you gonna have Aspie play? Because that's the big thing, yeah. Aspie's not a spring chicken. <laughs> like, I'm and sorry he has saying abroad, but he's, he's probably played, a lot. played the most minutes in our team in the last what seven or eight calendar years. Yeah, so so my concern is that obviously we discussed Cho's position. I'd rather him be playing in the front three and and really be a threat on goal. Can he do a serviceable job? Sure. Um, But then 
we loaned out Dujon Sterling, which is the only other natural player there. And, and then that's my thing. Like, so if you have an Academy guy or Academy graduate that could show his worth in his natural position, that's not happening. We're going to now stunt slash confuse the development of, of Cho by changing his natural ability. And, and for those that watch, I'm going to be referencing the last episode of Ted Lasso a lot. It's the whole thing. Like you want your striker, like in, in the Ted Lasso episode, the coaches tell the striker to be a prick and to, to just be a little selfish in front of goal. Cause that's what strikers do. And because he was being unselfish, he was causing issues with the team. Same thing now for Cho. He's been trying to become a winger and that's what he's been doing in the Academy. And, and when we've seen him succeed at, at the first team levels and his natural position, and now we're telling him, hey, to get more minutes, you're going to play a new position and change your natural way of thinking. That's just going to cause confusion long term because he's, quote unquote, a utility player under Tuchel. Mm-hmm. So it's a bummer. I, I I don't know, for example, if we get someone like Kunde to come in. I don't know if Kunde has the ability to play there because he was playing in a back four in Sevilla. So I don't know if he can do something like that. But at this point, I am slightly concerned, not for the short term future during this red card, but the season as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I have to agree with you on that. And and I've, I've been very vocal about it on this podcast, too. I, I always said that I think, you know, the money that we're going to be spending at center back or the money that we're trying to spend at center back would be better spent elsewhere. And I did mention right wing back as one of those problem positions, not necessarily a problem position. But it becomes one when you have Reese James picking up a red card. Um, and obviously you have Champions League coming up as well, which, you know, you're going to get that fixture pile up like we spoke about. Um, I do want to move on and talk about our impact subs. We already talked about Thiago Silva for a little bit. Um, we know what he can do. But the return of the Kova crew, Andres, Mateo Kovacic <laughs> came into this game. And, and you mentioned Jorginho as a standout player. I'm going to mention Mateo Kovacic. There are very few players that I mentioned in the past, I've used the word glue to describe him. He sort of glues our team together. He's what makes everything stick. And when he came on in this game, um, it, initially it's a worry because obviously he's coming on for N'Golo Kante, um, but we didn't skip a damn beat. And I actually think it worked to our advantage. Liverpool was playing the high press, and credit to them, very effectively in the second half. It was difficult for us to get out, unless we were attacking down the left-hand side through Alonso. That seemed to be the only real way we could make things happen. Um, But he came on, and we looked just as solid as we did before, if not more solid. His ability to be completely press resistant, to carry the ball forward, to open up spaces for his teammates, to find those quick passes, to combine with quick passes. He almost scored. He almost scored. Well, oh, listen, it's the, Kovacic. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know caught. if he almost scored. It's Kovacic. Caught up with him. Yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but look, I'm I'm extremely happy. I'm extremely happy with having him in the squad. But I was also happy with his performance. And honestly, if Conte's out. And Kovacic is coming in for him. Yes, he's not N'Golo Kante, but damn, there are very, very few midfielders that could come off a bench and be as effective as Kovacic. Um, so here, here's my thing. Kante's re-aggravated his ankle injury, as we all know. Um, 
I'm just going to sit here and assume that those injuries are going to persist based on the last two or three years of N'Golo Conte's career. Now, if they do come and go throughout the season, there is, at the time of recording, 24 hours left in the transfer window. If we don't get that CDM, which looks like it's going to be the case, will we regret it? Uh, I think, specifically, I think Saul regrets blocking the or saying that he wasn't going to get playing time under Tuchel mm-hmm. when he did and blocking the potential loan move because yep. hours later from that Fabrizio tweet, Conte goes down, which means that someone like Saul could have forced his way into a, a lot of first-time, first-team minutes. Um, here's my thing. I don't think we will regret it unless we miss out on a long-term target. And, and here's why. We have Conte, Jorginho, and Kovacic in that order. That is the order. I don't see anything changing that. Even if we sign, again, a long-term target, I don't think Declan Rice is available right now for the price we want to pay, so not even considering him. If uh, Chuameni is the guy that the club wants long-term, and that's who you're targeting, go for it. If it's not him this moment, I don't think we should go for a panic buy and I don't think we will regret it for a couple of reasons the next guy in line in my book is Trevor Chalaba you didn't say Mason Mount no because you said CDM I'm not we're uh, talking uh, about a guy to yeah. play the more defensive role okay yeah so Fair. Chalaba played as a like a strict DM for Laureate and I know I'm butchering the French pronunciation of this team but he played there plenty of minutes and had the most of all like the defensive stats, interceptions, tackles, recoveries. It was really good. Yeah. He performed. We've seen what he can do in the back three. His passing is very progressive. Imagine that just a little bit more forward. He's going to have someone like Jorginho or Kovacic next to him. I think that that's who you go for. If it's not him, you still have someone like Loftus, Sheik and Ampadu who again, they would be brought in, for the lesser stressful matches, your Carabao Cup, your perhaps maybe one of the Club World Cup matches that are just, you know, kind of a done deal, perhaps. So, again, I don't think we're going to regret not signing a, a midfielder unless is us being, you know, pragmatic and then we end up missing out on a long-term target. And again, that the only reason we'll see that if it's like a, hindsight 2020 thing and we fast forward and then our target is gone next summer so to me today no i do not regret i don't think the club will regret not panic buying a midfielder yeah um i think there are other players i could play there obviously you know you mentioned trevor chalaba um ethan ampadu and loftus cheek actually um were both told that they're going to be staying at the club through this window um, so obviously there's two options there that could play there. I think Ampadu would probably be more suited. Um, I don't see Loftus-Cheek playing as a, uh, as a as one of those midfielders in a 3-4-3. Um, but I, I also like the idea of playing Mason Mount there as well. I've been saying this for God knows how long. I think it's inevitable that Mason Mount is going to drop deeper and deeper into the midfield. 
he's not he's not ever going to be a six Andres, but I think by trait he would fit the box to box role perfectly, sort of the way Kovacic does, um, except he would be Kovacic with an end product, um, if you wanted to you know oversimplify it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean I mean we we do I I guess the point is yes we didn't bring in Saul and personally that deal never felt natural. It never sounded, you know, like it was a typical Chelsea kind of deal to begin with. Um, but we do have options, and I think that's the important thing. So um, I do want to move on. Listen, man, a lot happened um, in the last <laughs> week. Sin- not even since the last time we recorded. In the last four hours, we had to update the script multiple times because of, you know, random transfer updates. So before we get into the transfer updates – I am going to say these are the current updates as of August 30th. Uh, It is about 8.45 in the evening here in Los Angeles, California. So you do the math. If any of this information is dated when you're listening to this show, don't go tweeting us because (laughs) I gave you a warning. Okay? These are the updates as of 24 hours prior to the window shutting. Um, So first things first, we'll talk about, you know, obviously – a bittersweet uh, outgoing. Um, Kurt Zuma finally gets his move to West Ham, uh, deal worth up to $30 million. Um, we've known this has been on the cards for a while now. Um, there was a few snags in the road, but the deal did eventually get completed. Um, as a Kurt Zuma fan, um, not only on the field, but his uh, social media antics as well, um, I'm going to miss the guy. I think I think he's absolute quality. Um, and if you're playing a back four like West Ham does plan on doing this season, he's going to be terrific for them. So it's a hell of a signing for West Ham. Um, I think $30 million is decent money for somebody like Kurt Zuma. But personally, um, I would have liked to see him stay. But it, it comes down to this. He's too good of a player to ride the bench. He's too good of a player to be fourth choice in a back three. Um, so I completely understand, you know, his willingness to move. And obviously he got to stay in London and he got to stay in the Premier League. Um, and I think, you know, he has a legitimate opportunity of possibly playing himself into France's World Cup squad um, now that he's going to be getting, you know, uh, regular minutes and guaranteed minutes. So what's your what's your kind of take on that? I mean, the guy for his own career had to make this move whether it was to West Ham or elsewhere. You just mentioned it. There is a World Cup next year. And I believe that going into the beginning of the 2020-2021 season, he was on pace to make that Euro squad, starting next to Thiago in a back four. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of just disappeared because he does not fit what Tuchel came in with in the three of the back, which seems to be our base formation going into this season. So for his own career, he had to move. There's no point. Again, if he's trying to prove that he can play for the French national team in the World Cup, he has to be getting the first team minutes, and he has to be putting out quality minutes. So going to a team like West Ham that has a back four, uh, they play more of a, you know, the center backs are not asked to do. They're asked to just defend, which is what he's great at. Mm-hmm. And, and then they're asked to be threats on set pieces, which West Ham also very good at. So I think this is a great fit for Zuma. I hope that he's not going to make us pay directly in terms of, you know, 
him scoring on us on set pieces because he is gonna tower any of our defenders. Uh, but I'm know happy marks him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know luck. who marks him. Yeah, I, I think that you know, it's it's a fair price for a yeah. guy who who wasn't you know he was what fifth option perhaps, and yeah, I mean he's still he's already fought a crazy injury and crazy recovery to to get to where he is today and i think that you know he's still going to be a name that we hear often and it's not going to be one of those like we should have kept him like you know the kdb the salah the even lukaku until we got him back it's it's more of like a i'm happy for him if he does start performing this is definitely a no hard feelings transfer Yes. I don't think his relationship, because, you know, moving especially to a London rival um, would normally ruffle some feathers. And I haven't seen that with Kurt Zuma. It's been a very, his relationship with Chelsea fans in general has always been extremely healthy to begin with, though. He's such a likable guy. So it's kind of hard to hate on him for making this move, like you said. Um, Moving on, at Vigil Bruin did ask us a question. He said, time for my weekly Ampadu status check. Just a few days till the window closes. What do you hear? Obviously, better CDM backup than RLC. Um, so we did kind of touch on this a little earlier. I don't want to dwell on it too much, but um, Chelsea did state to both RLC and Ampadu that they are not leaving the club with this window. Um, so both of them do have legitimate opportunities of playing themselves into the squad. There was a really cheeky uh, Cruyff turn from RLC on Chelsea TV that came out this week. They posted it on their uh, on their Instagram, so he looks like he's he's playing well. Um, and listen, we don't really have to talk much about Ampadu. He's a he's an, a Wales a Welsh international who's performed on that international stage, and he's more than capable of playing as one of those midfielders as well. Yeah, and and it just came out in the news that he, um, at least during this international break, won't be playing as many matches. Uh, because of uh, an issue trying to get a visa approved for, I believe, the game against Russia or played in Russia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe he's one of those guys that either gets brought back early into camp and gets to work under Tuchel a couple of extra hours while, you know, our main players are off on international duty. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think if you're looking for the defensive player, you definitely play Ampadu. He plays a six at Wales. He has played a six at Chelsea before. So, yeah. yeah. I always liked Ampadu. He was always a confusing one for me because when he first played for us, we all loved his aggression. We loved his ability. His bite going into tackles is the main thing that stood out. The kid had a chip on his shoulder. Technically, he seems pretty good too. But he's kind of caught in the same position that Callum Hudson-Odoi is in where he doesn't necessarily have a quote-unquote position under his current manager. We don't really know where he fits in. We know he could play at center back. We know he's played at fullback before as well. Obviously, he plays at center mid. The guy's very versatile, I think, and and Tuchel loves his versatility, so I think there's some minutes for him there. I'd like to see him at least get an opportunity, a fair opportunity, oh. before we, uh, you know, completely write him off. Talk, talking about Ampadu again, I just remembered, like, upon joining the podcast, I remember thinking early doors under Conte like this guy just reminds me of a young Kimmich because he's like smaller but like he just acts like he's six seven tackles like he's six seven and he's got cojones 
yeah, he's like a vocal guy on the pitch, even though the kid was 17, 18 at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I'd love for him to get that back. I think it'd be mm-hmm. fantastic. And it's just, we'll see. I'm yeah. sure he'll get some minutes. I mean, the, like I said, we play Aston Villa in the Carabao Cup next month. And it's, I'm sure if he doesn't start, he'll get maybe a cameo appearance because I believe Man City is the match after that. So I don't expect a full strength side against Villa. And listen, if he does get that cameo appearance, sometimes that's all you get. So if it does come, you better take that opportunity. Um, Moving on um, to some outgoings here. Um, Recently, Bakayoko finally um, got his move to AC Milan. Uh, But before that, he renewed his deal with Chelsea, extended it another two years, because it will be a two-year loan with an option to buy that could become an obligation if certain conditions are met. Um, there's no word on what those conditions are. There, they are. Uh, you better bet your bottom dollar that they're performance related. Um, but here's the thing: the price would be 15 million if AC Milan do decide to buy him. I think that's good money for Bakayoko because I would honestly um, trade him for a bag of potato chips. But 15 million sounds nice too, and we got him off our books for the next two seasons. It's a good move. This is. Great business. I, yeah. I don't think he's coming back. <laughs> I think that he had great success in Syria, both at his time in Napoli and Milan. I, I'm bummed because of the hype that came in with his initial sign- signing. But again, like I'm very indifferent about this. I hope that he can do something for himself and at least be in contention to start somewhere like Milan. But yeah. The fact that we're going to get some money back for this guy rather than, you know, eventually just running down his contract is a win for me. And two-year loan means that they'll be covering his salary for sure. So, yeah, good good on him. Again, there's there's a reason why some of these more athletically gifted players succeed in Serie A, and maybe that's all he needs. Yeah, I mean, it seems, it seems to be a place where he's, you know, happy to play. So, you know, good on him, I guess. Um <laughs> Uh, anyways, there was a Saul update um, for all of you, and and this is what I was talking about when I mentioned that we changed our script four times in the last few hours. Um, the Saul deal, according to Fabrizio Romano, is now completely blocked. Um, a bunch of issues arising. At first, like Andres said, Saul rejected the move because he was worried about playing time. Then there was word that Atletico just wasn't interested anymore. And then there was word that the reason why Atletico wasn't interested is because they need to find a replacement for Saul, and we're cutting it really close to the deadline, and we're not going to give them enough time to do it. The proposed deal that was initially thrown around was a loan with an option to buy, um, you know, rumored purchase fee of around 34 million euros. From what I understood, it was a structured uh, loan agreement where it would be two years, where we would have the option to purchase Saul at the end of each year at a different price point. Uh, the cheaper price point coming at the end of the second year. So I'm wasting a lot of breath here because this is a deal that as of right now is not going to happen. Um, are we bummed about this? What do we What do we kind of feel about it? Because I mentioned it earlier. This seems like a move to me that doesn't seem very Chelsea. It seems sort of – it had a hint of panic in it. Um, I The only reason why I would have liked this move is because – I thought we were getting 
Ace Aul, who had something to prove. But then when the story came out that he was worried about his minutes, then that's where I was like, I don't want him. Because the guy is not getting minutes at Atletico. Like, he's not. For some reason, he's not playing as much as he used to. And he's giving it, being given an option with a two-year loan to make a mark, and he's not betting on himself. So I don't care for this deal anymore. Yeah, I don't like this, to bet on players that don't bet on themselves. That's well yeah, said. Yeah, this is like the Kovacic thing. Like we talked about how like at first, like, oh, this could be like a Kovacic 2.0 thing where we got him on loan and then we sign him. Kovacic knew his worth and knew that he could do something, left Madrid, and is has now won a Champions League again outside of Madrid. Saul yeah. has decided not to do that. Yeah. Um, Jules Koundé update. God, where do we even start with this? It was supposed um, to be done after Zuma. Yeah, it was supposed to be done after Zuma. Um, Sevilla obviously not happy that the deal um, hasn't been completed yet. Um, Chelsea did submit a 55 million pound bid. That was a here's the here's where it gets complicated. It was supposedly verbally agreed between the clubs, and this is according to David Ornstein. Um, however, once we sold Zuma and went back to Sevilla and said, "All right." Where's our man? Sevilla raised their price by 15 million. Now they're asking for something between 70 and 80 million euros uh, for Jules Koundé, which is a lot of money for a center back. A lot of money. To put it into perspective, that's two and a half Kurt Zumas. Do you know how much hang time that is? No. Um, so look, <laughs> Fabrizio Romano did tweet um, that this deal isn't dead contrary to reports that we read in the last couple days here. Um, this is going to go down to the last day of negotiations. So at the time of recording right now, there is 24 hours left in the window. Anything can happen. Um, my opinion on this, Andres, I think Sevilla are just pricks because the Zuma deal dragged on and they're being very, very petty about the price point now. You really want our guy? All right. Well, we know you won the Champions League. We know you got the Tammy Abraham money. We know you got the, you know, Bakioko off the books. All these people that are outgoing. Danny Drinkwater's massive wages off the books, finally. <laughs> uh, or at least part of it. Um, they they are being bitches about this, personally. Yeah, but rightly course. so. If I was in their position, from a business standpoint, what they're doing is a common negotiating tactic. But Marina's at the helm. Mm-hmm. And that's where, and I, we have a price in mind, and we're not gonna get sucked into to overpaying. Like, I know people are gonna be like, "Oh, back Tuchel, this is his guy. Like, this is who he wants." But within reason. Exactly. First off, within reason, this player obviously wants to come to Chelsea. We have the depth right now because you know Thiago Silva is not in a wheelchair yet. And, again, Koundé's deal, we always talked about it. This this has longevity written across it. This is a, a, a signing more so for the future than the today. At whatever price they're putting, unless they're willing to, to really meet somewhere in the middle, Monchi can suck a fat one and just <laughs> will wait another year because yeah. this is just absolute – bs on their part it was like you said everything pointed at like a smooth transition hey we're about to get our money for zuma we'll we'll get this done here as, as soon as he agrees to go to west ham 
here we are. Deal's not done. Crazy how things can change, but yeah, Sevilla's just they're not helping themselves because this player did every like didn't travel with the team. That's something yeah. we didn't mention. He didn't travel thinking that he was gonna have his medical done with Chelsea this weekend and and he's forcing a move away. So they're playing a very dangerous game um with with their relationship with Kunde himself. And so I, I think that I think we're gonna see another Marina um masterclass here yeah so to use the term and use the buzzword um i will feel a lot more comfortable about our squad composition and we even talked about the depth at right wing back if we sign kunde yeah because then it would allow dave to just kind of deputize there until reese comes back and we wouldn't really have to worry about filling in the gaps right um i like the sound of this deal only at 55 to 60 million I think paying anything more than that for a center back, you better be getting somebody that's Van Dyke quality because that's Van Dyke money. Um, you don't just throw around 70 or 80 million, um, <laughs> especially on a center back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean that, that that's kind of my take. I just don't want to see Chelsea panic buy, which we've been prone to do in the past. But lately our business has been good. Yeah. So let's let's hope that we can get the price we want. Or at it, least find some sort of middle ground. And again, like, we don't need to overpay for center back when we've trusted Chalaba to stay and we have Levi Colwell doing his thing at Huddersfield. Like, Kunde again, is, is more of a signing for the future. So, who knows? Sevilla might be trying to twist our arm, but then realize, like, hey, financially, we kind of need to sell him anyway because he's not going to want to be ha- like be here. So a lot of money for they're, them. they're playing a lot of they're playing a, a dangerous game of chicken right now. Yeah, they need to figure out who they're messing with. Yeah. Um, moving on, the most recent rumor that came about, um, Callum Hudson Adoy attracting interest from uh, some German clubs. So this is actually nothing new. <laughs> Wait, but this particular a Cho a Cho deadline day rumor. Wow. A Cho deadline day rumor. This is almost as certain as Anthony Taylor having an absolute blinder when refing Chelsea. Yep. Um, Dortmund, Borussia Dortmund expressed interest in taking Cho on a season-long loan. Um, as of right now, that deal is not likely. So I don't want to waste too much time speaking about it because it's not just one t- uh, top-tier source reporting that. There's multiple. Um, however, something more interesting. In the last 24 hours, Leicester have actually showed interest. However, they've only shown interest in a permanent deal for Cho. There hasn't been any words yet on um, the type of discussions they're having or the uh, potential clauses in that deal, meaning we don't know if there's a buyback clause, um, which is something that Chelsea has, you know, done a lot this window, uh, (laughs) buyback FC. Um, we spoke about it last week, how, you know, Cho is clearly out of the pecking order. We don't really want to see him shoved out as as a right wing back, um, because that's not where he's going to be playing his career. Um, what do we, what do we think about possibly, let me propose a hypothetical here. Okay. This Lester deal. If we can get a buyback on Callum Hudson Adoy, do you take it? If it guarantees him playing time. I mean, you try to get it in there, yeah. Yeah. I, here's that's, the thing. Because like, for me, that's the only way we make a deal is if there's a buyback. I don't want to so, get rid of them full stop. 
Right, but then again, like off air, we spoke with our friend Bobby, which make it made a he made a good point. Let's put Tammy's deal into perspective. Tammy was sold for forty, and we have to buy him back for eighty. So same same de- same. Let's use the same value for Cho. Let's say maybe it's a little less, thirty million for sixty million. Yeah, buyback. I think regardless, the buyback clause gives us a little bit of you know safety i think because cho is more of a quote-unquote known commodity uh, thank you uh his price tag is going to be higher but that also means like we have to be as fans okay with the thought that he may not come back this isn't as low as the tino livermento buyback for example this isn't as low as uh who's the other guy that had a buyback i'm so sorry livermento there's somebody else that we Louis B- was it Louis Bate? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But my point is, for uh, with Tammy, Tammy's being eighty, a top level striker, worth eighty million. Those are hard to find. I will not blink if Tammy balls out to pay eighty million. He is balling out. I mean, goal and two assists. So, yeah. Cho at winger. A position that is, like, in today's game, kind of the, the the position you dream of playing as a kid. Three, four years ago, we thought Musonda was going to be the greatest winger to come out of the academy. Then came Cho, and then we're thinking Cho is going to be the greatest winger to come out of the academy. What's to say that this deal happens, and we fast forward two years, and now we have a new Cho in the academy making his rounds. And maybe this time around, he's in a team that doesn't have that many wingers, and he's already here for free. There's a chance the club may not buy him back. So it's a, it has to be a, it's a calculated risk, but it's a risk nonetheless. So my, my view on it is that Cho, Cho and his camp should be looking to get him somewhere where he's going to play at winger now. Because he's not hap- That's not happening at Chelsea in this yeah. current system. And at Leicester, I mean, they're they're obviously a competitive side that have a playing style in place already. A manager that's been there a long time, and they already have chemistry in terms of that starting eleven. Now, yeah, Cho could make that right wing his. Yeah, I mean, all Brighton's not displaceable. No, well, it's not 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 all Brighton, but they got Ayose Perez out there. Do they still have that Turkish guy? Or did they is loan a, him back? I don't or did even they know if Jose Paris is there. No, the Turkish guy is now in France. Chengiz Under, whatever, yeah. Well, either way. Um, I just want to see Cho, yeah, like you said, he needs to go somewhere where, where, where the kid's going to play. But let it be known, we should not get rid of him without that buyback um, as well because the kid has nuclear talent. He could explode overnight and become a world beater. Um so we always have to have that option there for us. Speaking of buybacks, another um, another permanent move being made or on the verge of being made. Tino Andrin, to get this, Locomotive Moscow. It's an, an initial loan with an option to make it permanent. Um, the fee, if they did make it permanent, would be for $17 million. Uh, all signs are pointing to the deal being made permanent next summer, and frankly, I'm not expecting it to be any different because I don't think Locomotive Moscow has 
gotten anybody relatively close to the talent level at the age <laughs> Tino Andrian is. So before we kind of get into the what the fuck uh, portion of this transfer, let me just caveat it with Locomotive is playing in the Europa League next season. So he is going to be getting European football. If I'm not mistaken, I think I read somewhere that Leicester is in their group. So, you know, the level of competition, at least one of the teams is going to be competitive. Um, and, of course, the buyback option on this deal as well, if it becomes permanent, of course. Chelsea have already pre-negotiated a buyback clause of around 34 million euros. Now, this is somebody that has been widely touted as one of, if not the most talented U20 English youngster um, who hasn't gotten regular first-team football yet. Is this – you like how I had to have that caveat. Um, <laughs> is this a good move for him? Do we like it? Again, another young talent that isn't going to play here. Like, simple as that. Like, he needs to go play. The buyback clause makes you feel a little better. This this gives me um, Danny Olmo vibes. Danny Olmo left Barcelona to go to Dynamo Zagreb, and he made his mark in a quote-unquote lesser league, but on a team that fights for European places, and now he's one of the main players at Leipzig. So this gives me that sort of vibe. Difference is Barcelona never negotiated a buyback clause. We're trying to protect ourselves here. And again, you're seeing Chelsea do these sales with buybacks. Teams are going to play this guy more. If it's a two-year loan and that's it, what's their what's their end goal there? To, to play a guy that has a ticking time bomb to depart? Mm-hmm. So I like it. $34 million now seems like something you can throw around for a decent player for a transfer fee. So That's the type again, of transfer fee that we can make happen even when money's tight. Right. Yeah, and, and again, similar to Cho, nuclear talent, a player that has that ability to become a world beater, he can become everything that Loftus-Cheek should have been um, if he performs to the level that we know he can. Um, you mentioned him a little earlier. This is actually going to be the last one. I know it's kind of a long segment here, but Dujon Sterling goes to Blackpool on a season-long loan. Yes, guys, I know I didn't mention Danny Drinkwater. I didn't want to waste a specific bullet point on him. But the Dujon Sterling deal, um, similar to Bakayoko's, he did extend it for another two years before he gets loaned out. However, um, there is no purchase option. This is just a straight loan for two seasons. Um, So it's good to keep an eye on him. Uh, because, you know, we obviously know how much Tuchel used him in the preseason, partly out of necessity, but he's also spoke very highly about his ability as well. We know that he's a big physical fullback. Um, he's versatile. He could play as a center back as well, um, possibly somebody to look for in the future. So um, not saying go watch all of Blackpool's matches, <laughs> but it might be nice to check in on him every now and then um, with a quick Google search. So, uh I think I could speak for both of us when I say I think it's a decent deal. But a part of me does want to say that maybe there was some playing time for him this season. Uh, I, unlike you, Zach, I think that this means that he's just another guy that's going to get lost in the lone army forever. I think that yeah. this summer after Levermento was sold, that this was his best chance. Kind of like how Trevo broke into the team. I don't think he must have done enough. I also think that Tuchel is very smart with his words. You know, the guy was there training because of an injury prior, and 
I mean, he didn't look fantastic at, at parts of the preseason. So I think, yeah, I think it's one of those things where if an offer comes out for a permanent move, he's not going to get a buyback clause. Yeah. A lot of new news. And guess what? By the time people Transfer are listening to this podcast, uh, all this information is going to be dated probably because the deadline would have passed. So um, if you're still listening, thank you very much. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. Um, we are about to embark on an international break. So, um, you know, we are going to be holding off on our uh, Aston Villa match preview until next week, closer to the match when we have more accurate team news. Obviously, the transfer window will close. So hopefully we can give you an update on that as well. Um, but until then, keep the blue flag flying high.